You can put everybody's life into three different lives. The cage life, which these are people who live based on the expectations of others, based on limitations they've never confronted. Second type is the comfortable life where these are people who are easily satisfied because they don't have the right network around them. No one's pushing them. So the comfortable life is just people that validate and no one's holding them to high standards and they've gotten complacent because of their habits. Third, the charge life, which I spent my whole life trying to create. These are people who just live life of their own design. They, they live a life they choose based on who they are, what they want. They get rid of limitations. They're always growing. They're around high level people. They make the tough decisions in the moment. They know what life has to offer and they're experiencing it at the fullest because they deserve it because they put in the work. Peter Vug is living a charged life. As a best-selling author, speaker, and coach, Peter has built a worldwide following among millennials and entrepreneurs. He first succeeded with Cutco Vector Marketing in Tacoma, Washington, where he quickly advanced to the district manager position and was one of the fastest to create a six-figure income. After leaving Cutco, Peter wrote his first book, Six Months to Six Figures, and he has been sharing his mindset and strategies to help others achieve entrepreneurial success and live their best lives. Peter's newest book, Seven Rules for Seven Figures, is releasing on October 19th. I know he'll inspire you to become unstoppable in everything you do. Get ready for Peter Vug. Welcome to Changing Lives, Selling Knives. I'm your host, Dan Cassetta. There's a generation of entrepreneurs and business leaders out there right now who are positively impacting the world using lessons and skills that they first learned from selling Cutco knives with Vector Marketing Corporation. This podcast was created to share inspiring stories from Cutco's most prominent alumni and current leaders. On this show, you'll meet successful entrepreneurs, best-selling authors, superstar business executives, and transformational leaders from many walks of life. All our guests will have two things in common. One, they're all changing lives today through their work and their influence. And two, they all started out selling Cutco knives when they were younger. The lessons of the Cutco Vector experience are numerous, are compelling, and are real-world concepts for business and life. Through hearing real-life stories and hands-on experiences, you'll gain insights that can help you in whatever it is that you do in life. Thanks for pressing play. Let's get on with today's episode. Welcome to the podcast, everyone. I'm fired up to bring an awesome guest to you today who's going to bring some fire to this audience. I'm with Peter Vu. Uh, Peter sold Cutco starting in 2006, uh, started in Oregon uh, with Will Burdett as his original manager. And in less than a year, Peter advanced to a district manager position, became a district manager in 2007 in Tacoma, Washington. And to the best of our knowledge, Peter is the fastest manager at the time, fastest manager in Vector history to produce a million dollars in new business sales. Uh, he was a manager for about six years and produced about $6 million in sales during that time. So very consistent as a top performer. Uh, left the company in 2013 to pursue his own career in coaching. That led him to write his first book, which was called Six Months to Six Figures. That book has had incredible success and enabled Peter to build a following all around the world as a leading authority for millennials 
and entrepreneurs. Uh, Peter has been paid to speak uh, in places like Dubai and Tokyo and all sorts of other places in between. He is now releasing his second book, uh, which we're going to talk a little bit about today. And he's excited to bring some fire to the Cutco Vector audience. Peter Vug, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm excited. Long time coming, man. Yeah, man. It's great to reconnect in this way and be able to, to uh, share some of your influence into our audience. I know they're going to dig a lot of the stuff that you have to talk about. Take us back to 2006 and tell us a little bit about how you got started with Cutco. Oh my gosh. I, I often tell people from who I was when I started in Cutco and then when I left, not, not even a recognizable person, not, not even the same, close to the same person because of the growth and because of what I went through. It's crazy. So I'm in college I, at U of O and I, my, my whole life, I want, I felt like I wanted to become an entrepreneur and I had an eBay business at 15, but I'm from a small town of 6,000 people in Oregon coast. So when you speak those, those stats, Dan, and you talk about my book and me speaking in Dubai, it, it still, it still blows my mind and freaks me out. Cause I'm like, it's so weird to me. Cause when I was younger, I didn't think I was going to have a ton of success. People see my energy now and they're like, Oh, he's, he's ambitious, but I wasn't. So, um, I finally got, after I, I graduated high school, everybody around me was like, you have to get a normal job. And I'm like, but I want to be an entrepreneur. I want to try something that, that I get paid based off kind of my value. I see a lot of people. I'm from a small town that almost everybody had nine to fives. So after like a 50 people told me Dan, including my mom and all my friends, like you have to get a nine to five to work your way up. I'm like, if, if people tell you something enough, you almost make it true in your mind. So I got a normal job, worst three months of my life, work valet cars. And I remember sitting in the valet booth. This is a, an important story because it really sets the context for why I was so excited when I first got hired. So I, I got hired or I uh, worked that job and I remember making 705 an hour and I was sitting in the valet booth. I would go extra mile. I would show up early. I would help customers and no matter what, my pay was the same. So I remember adding up my paycheck in the valet booth. I'll never forget this. I'm sitting on the valet booth. I'm like 705 an hour times 40 hours a week, minus taxes times three months. And I looked at that amount and I said, no matter what I do, no matter how many people I help, no matter how much ambition I have or how many books I read, how much I grow, I'm making the same paycheck. And it was the most demotivating thing in the world. But in my head, I still thought, Jesus, this, this sucks. <laughs> do most people have to hate what they do? And I didn't have guidance or any leadership. So I was like, I guess this is, this is life. And I was a little bit sad. Went to college, um, didn't work, heard about Cutco nervous, don't know what to do. I remember calling, uh, I got, I got the interview and I remember calling the manager, Will answered. And if you know, Will, Will's, Will's amazing. Such a good personality. I'm like, yeah, I'm not sure if this is for me. I'm, I'm nervous. I've never done sales. I don't know if I want to do this. He's like, ah, just come to training. You'll love it. And I'm like, that's all just come to training. You'll love it. He's like, just give it a chance. And I was open-minded because I had no other options. Right. So I went to training and Loved it because it gave me a chance to get paid based off my value and work ethic. Mm -hmm. So I wasn't, I wasn't used to sales, but I was so excited to finally show kind of, oh my gosh, I could get paid off based off my worth. So I had, I had a pretty big fast start, 11 K fast start, almost 11 or 12 K uh, broke the Eugene record with the fast start. And that kind of just got me going. I saw the biggest paycheck I've ever seen, but then I got a little bit lackadaisical and little, I, I just made two or three K and I'm, I'm 20, 20 years old, 21 years old. This is crazy. Right. 
So on and off, on and off and kept selling somewhat consistently, but I wasn't as consistent as I should have been. I would take weekends off. I would take a week off, come back. And Will was so kind of relaxed. He's like, oh, whatever. You can come when you want. Um, which I needed someone like that, Dan, because I was a little more uh, stubborn and ambitious where if he would have told me what to do all the time, it would have been a little harder for me to want to be a part of the mission, but he was a great manager. So fast forward, I, I sell, I think I sell 30 or $40,000. And it's crazy because I, someone went field training with me. And this is a, a, such a pivotal moment in my life because I remember someone field training with me. It was a young kid. His name was Jesse. And he watched my demo. And I, uh, he goes, I can't believe your demo. I'm missing certain things. I'm not saying this, you get excited. You do this and this. He goes, I was, I was going to quit. My mom needs help. She's getting evicted. She, she needs her bills paid. I was going to try to find something else. I was going to quit. Cause I didn't think you could really make money here. I go, dude, I made 2k a couple of weeks ago. You just got to do it right and follow the process. I remember helping him anyways. He said, you changed my life. He's not going to quit. He went on, I think to sell 15 or 20 grand that summer and something changed where I got more excitement and fulfillment from him saying, you changed my life than me succeeding myself. So I said, this is a weird feeling because I'm, I used to be all about myself. Like I got to succeed. I got to make money, but making him, making him $500 to help his mom was way more fulfilling than me making 2k. So that's when I'm like, I I might need to get into management and do what Will does because I want to actually help people. So that's why I got into management so quick. I like selling, but I like leadership and I like running a team even more. So fast forward, I go to Olean, I check everything out and I'm like, this is amazing. I remember seeing people in my region, Jeremy Bell and and Bedford and them, they're getting 30, $40,000 bonuses. And uh, Bell bought his second house. This is stuff that shaped kind of how I think back then. I said, this, this guy's 25. He's bought his second house. Most people I know don't even have their first house and they're 50. <laughs> like, what's going on here? People are making money. So I went to Olean, checked it out, liked it. I wanted to become a manager. So put me in Tacoma uh, because Tacoma is a pretty rough area. So I'm not sure why they thought I could handle Tacoma, Washington, um, but went there and fell on my face. Cause I thought that I, it's the same as succeeding yourself. One thing I realized is succeeding yourself is a, it's a whole different level having other people count on you and actually building a team. Right. So that's when I started my journey of personal growth and success. I, I honestly believe it was you that said something at an event too, where it's like your level of success will seldom exceed your level of personal growth. And I'm like, personal growth, what, what does that mean? What do you mean personal growth? And I'm like, oh, it's the growth that you actually consume in yourself. It's the mindset. It's the books you read. It's the people you study. It's how you view what you're doing. It's how you view success, your perspective. So one or two perspective shifts that I had from specific events, slowly, I just started to shape kind of how I built my office. And I made a decision because I was struggling and I was stressed and I was dead broke. People don't know this. When I started my DM office, DMs are supposed to make money. I was broke. And I was like, oh, the company, dude, they said I was going to make money. And they said I was going to do this and make these 20K paychecks. I'm broke. I was blaming the company. I was blaming the economy. I was blaming my past. I was blaming my small town, my experience, my age. Finally, I don't know when it was. I was sitting in my one-bedroom apartment. No no uh, box spring, just a mattress, broke. And something just shifted. I was like going through all my notes from SLC, going through all my notes from all the DMs and all my notes. And something was just like, the moment I took full responsibility for my results in action is the moment everything started to change. I just kind of shifted to a different perspective. I'm like, I'm not leaving till, till I make my mark and crush this. Mm-hmm. Had a call with Isaac, uh, talked to my mom. I was gonna, I told my mom I might quit and, and I need some money because it wasn't working out. And she looked at me, she goes, 
you have to be all in or all out. It's like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to give you any money. Best thing she ever could have done is not help me in a way. So at that point, Dan, from that point to the next year, we did a million in new business just from shifting my perspective. And what's crazy is we can talk about the numbers, but my first summer we did a hundred, my goal was 400 K. And I was telling everyone at the DM retreat, I was like, I'm going to crush it. I was this cocky young kid. You probably remember me being a cocky young kid, but my results didn't improve. My results weren't the cocky young kid. They were the opposite. So first summer I did 135 K and I'm like, I'm going to do 400 fell on my face. Next summer we did, uh, I think five, four fifty or 500,000. And then the next was 700, but here's the crazy thing. Same territory, same me, same, everything, different perspective. Mm-hmm. So how, how do I barely make it same everything I do seven times more because I was thinking differently. That's why right. that's one of the biggest lessons I got is if you think differently and take a different approach and take responsibility, the possibilities are endless, man. So that's, we could keep going, but that's kind of the experience as a DM. And I just kept growing and growing and I kept building a culture and I, and I kept feeding into my people and really, really focusing on working for them versus thinking they work for me. So I, I felt, always felt judged. I felt overworked and underpaid. I didn't like what I was doing. So Cutco really saved my life in that sense because I, I always had ambition, but I never had an avenue to unleash it. And that was, yeah. It. Yeah. You know, I love that concept that you uh, got a chance to be, to see that you could be paid for your value here. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, that is how life works. Yep. And either you embrace that and you thrive in that, or you're working for somebody else, helping them achieve their dreams and goals and having them sort of determine what is your value. And you saw that early on. It's kind of a scary thing to come to terms with as an 18 or 19 or 20 year old, but it also is a very empowering thing to come to terms with as a young person to, to realize that, you know, I have the ability if I double my effectiveness to double or more my pay, I, I can control that. It forces um, you to level. It really does force you to level up and grow. It does. It it it, re- it reveals uh, it reveals a lot about you. I like to say that a lot of young people that come into Vector get exposed for sure because they have that sort of chip on their shoulder, like you described. You might have had as a young person, and and you realize that like succeeding in Vector is not easy, yeah. and so it exposes what are your needs, your developmental needs to become great. Um, and the people that look at that and, and accept that with great sort of self-awareness, which I know, by the way, that's one of your rules in your new book about self-awareness, the people that take that positively and say, okay, this is great awareness for me. I'm going to learn the lessons here. They become successful. Um, and the ones that blame everybody else are the ones that end up, you know, not becoming successful. So it's cool to hear that you went through all of those sort of mind shifts in your early stages of your uh, Cutco Vector career and, you know, came out the other side uh, with the right mentality, the right attitude and the right habits that have led to such great success. Yeah. There was a lot of uh, early lessons and experiences. So it's good that I used them as fuel to actually become more successful because I felt at times some lessons almost caused me to quit because I was never used to not quitting when things got hard. So I'm glad I, I didn't give up when things got tough. I feel like if you make the tough decisions, your office, your people, life becomes more fulfilling and easier. You make the easy, I was making all the easy decisions and life was tough. (laughs) You know what I mean? So it's it's the, it's the choosing that growth in the moment. Like we talked about. Yeah. I I like that. Will Burdett's management style resonated for you. 
Well, him um, and Isaac, both of them resonated. And I don't know if I would have survived uh, sometimes other DMs. You know, I know, my personality. I know. So it was like know, perfect yeah. timing. Yeah. I think, I think about sometimes how lucky we are to end up having had the precise leaders that we've had, because mm-hmm. um, oftentimes all, all of us can attribute a lot of our success to the influence of the people who are our leaders. And it, it isn't that I would re- have resonated with every other leader besides, you know, Filippo Mancini, my division manager, or mm-hmm. Bruce Goodman. It isn't that you would have resonated with everybody else besides Will Burdett or Isaac Tolpin. Exactly. And so we were lucky to have had the right leaders at the right time in our lives. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know what the lesson is in that, that you just have to c- continue seeking mentors and leaders until you find the ones that resonate for you because different guys resonate with different people. I know you've been influenced highly by, you know, Grant Cardone, for example, and Grant's style is one that I don't know resonates with everybody. He's a, mm-hmm. he's abrasive at times. Right. And some people love it. Right. And you have to find the leaders that you love that resonate for you. And so that's uh, it's cool that you've been able to do that. I'm wondering, Peter, if there's any other lesson from your vector experience that you feel like is hyper relevant today in in what you do or in what you share with others. I mean, how long do you have? Um, <laughs> so, so there there was a lot that shaped how I view business. So I remember finally I start crushing it as a DM, and I'm still cocky, right? I'm still cocky, and I'm like, ah, I'm I'm a CEO. I'm a DM. I control everything. I'm paying the rent. So I have a great, I have my best week ever and my biggest paycheck. I take a week. I'm like, oh, I'm going to take a week off. Isaac's like, are you sure you have momentum? I was like, um, yeah, I'm, I'm the DM. I'll take a week off. Literally took a whole week off and I have fun. I think I went to Hawaii or somewhere, somewhere on a beach. I don't remember where it was. I think it was Hawaii. And for a week with uh, friends, family and had a great time. I was like, I arrived like, my people are working. I'm on vacation. Fast forward, come back. 80% of the team quits. So I'm like, wait, what? You guys just made money. What's going on? Half didn't answer their phone and they just wouldn't show up. So I think the team meeting I had before I left was like 40 or 50. And I think I had like nine at the team meeting that next week. Um, because uh-huh. I, I gave my inexperienced A. I'm like, hey, you'll figure out the team meeting. Just follow my script, do this. And I just, I didn't take it serious. So I remember Isaac telling me, you have to remember your job as a CEO, as a DM is to get results in your business, whether you feel like it or not, whether you're there or not, whether you're sick or not. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, but, and, and I, of course I had excuses, but I realized later that's my job. My people are counting on. Me. So I realized at that moment, that's what helped me get more on my purpose and off myself and showing up sick showing up because people counted on me. I don't think I took a vacation for another year because I was so focused on building the right way. So I think that's a lesson where a lot of people see a little bit of success and they let their momentum go. And the two scariest things in life, I think right now is momentum and lack of it. There's Mm -hmm. nothing worse than having lack of momentum, especially as a rep, as a DM. So once you have it, do everything you can to stay with it. And that's why the mindset of a DM and the mindset of a DVM and what I had was after that, that's my job to produce results. That's my job. It, whether I work seven days a week or six days a week, everyone else can work their five days a week and take the weekends off, but they're not going to have the life that I want to have if I go extra mile. So at that point, I didn't take days off. I worked extra mile because I was in a sacrifice stage that taught me the power of having a sacrifice stage. There's a certain amount of hours and sacrifice you have to put in to build a thriving business and a thriving office. 
that allows you to do new business, that allows you to make good money where you can spend the money on real estate and whatever you want to do. But I think too many people come in with a hobby mentality or a nine to five mentality. I remember the reason I, looking back years later, one of the reasons I didn't make money at the beginning of the DM is I was treating it like a hobby. And I think if you treat it like a hobby, you make hobby money, which still Mm -hmm. is not bad, but I don't know a lot of people that want to just make hobby money. You know what I mean? So I was, I wasn't treating it like a real business. And once I started treating it like a real business, I started developing and thinking like a CEO, I started developing more mental toughness. I got all my mental toughness from being a DM because there was many times I was sick. I couldn't get out of bed. I had to run training. It's like, there's 50 people counting on me. I'll cancel because I don't feel good. That's that's not how good good DMs, good CEOs, good leaders, good entrepreneurs work. They put themselves second into people first. I learned that, which is huge. And that's how I built another business too, is putting people first and understanding how to develop people. And if I show weakness, if I show I'm tired, if I don't show up, if I show up late and say, hey, you guys got to show up early, I'm the DM, I'll be late, but you show up early, people don't listen. They subconsciously lose respect for you. So mm-hmm. I had to set the example. So that was a huge Huge lesson. I think networking and reaching out to high level people was a big lesson. I never knew that was a thing, but I saw so many people crushing it in the company above me and I wasn't, I'm like, something's wrong. And if you want to be a millionaire, talk to billionaires, you'll get there quicker, right? If you want to make six figures, talk to people already making six figures. So I remember Dan, when I was broke, people, one of the top questions I got like for five years straight was how'd you go from broke to six figures simplified? So, well, I was broke. All I was talking to were people that were making three, four, $500,000. Gedris, you, Geneza, uh, Justin Donald, all these people, Drew Frank. I was talking to these people that were already crushing it. I couldn't help but make 100K. It's, impo- mm-hmm. it's impossible not to. You could have no experience. You could have no skills. If you just simply shift who you connect with and who you talk to, it's inevitable you're crushing. But people have this mentality, I got to figure it out myself. That mentality made me broke figuring out myself. That's so uh, just reaching out to people. Great insight, like super powerful, yeah. right? I mean, it, 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 it doesn't matter what field we are in. It, you will subconsciously develop the mindset, the beliefs, and ultimately the habits of the people that you spend the most time talking to and hanging out around. And so there's that incredible power of our network and our influence. So um, and we know great. this, people hear this, but it's like, are they really, do they really have five or 10 people on their phone? that have the results they want. I think one of the best advice I got to early on was just take few opinions. There's so many opinions out there, mom, dad, brother, friends, husband, wife, uncles, aunts, outside circumstances. And a lot of times what I realized in in Vector 2 was a lot of times parents or people that don't understand entrepreneurship or sales or don't understand that you're building a life that's different. You're actually building a life where it allows you to have some freedom and flexibility and financial success. And if you trigger someone else's insecurity, they're going to figure out any way they can to get you to quit that because they see you struggling a little bit. And they're like, hey, you're struggling. Yeah, of course I'm struggling. That's how I find myself. So I had a lot of people, a lot of parents, a lot of people around me. It's like, why are you doing that? I'm like, because I want to grow myself. I want to struggle. I want to build character. And that's the only way to do it is failure, not doing things that are easy. And I think people represent a lot of times the courage, strength, and vision. A lot of people don't yet have. So it's it's important to kind of take few opinions when you're trying to grow your business, because you know this, everybody has opinions these days. And if you only take opinions from people you would trade places with or you respect or have similar values, there's not as much noise in your head. And there was a lot of noise in my head when I was newer, when I was a DM and I was crushing it, I had no noise. I was so locked in and focused. 
Super powerful, Peter. Take few opinions. I, I love that concept right there. And the whole idea of results over feelings is something that we always try to talk about with people is that, you know, it's so easy just to succumb to, I don't feel like it. I don't want to work hard. Right. But if you want to live the life by design, you have to first decide what that's going to look like. And then you have to be willing to put in the effort to produce those results. And sometimes on the front end of anything, that means a lot of effort. It means working super hard. It means busting your ass. Like there's no, there's no secret to long-term success. It, it starts with the effort, right? And I don't think any of us feel like we want to be working, you know, six or seven days a week forever, but to, on the front end of anything, especially um, it's super important to be willing to put in that work. Right. And um, so I just appreciate that you have, have uh, promoted that as well, because I think that's something that a lot of young people need to hear for sure. It's huge. And now now it's it goes against society's stigma and standards of like work a little bit, take some time off. But they usually I, I, there's a stat in my new book, Dan, not, people spend ninety one thousand hours at work in their career on average what they do. And almost 80 percent of people hate what they do, are actively disengaged and have zero passion. So what that means is 80% of people, 80% of society hates what they do, has no passion, the majority of their life mm. because they never understood sacrifice. So what you're saying is more powerful than I think people even realize you have, this is how I see entrepreneurship and, and factor when I was there, work, 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 get paid. You have maybe a little vacation, work, 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 get paid, little vacation. Eventually it's work, 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 work get paid, get paid, get paid, vacation, vacation, work, 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 vacation, paid, do what you want, do what you want, work, work, do what you want, do what you want, do what you want. So at the end, I, that's what people don't get the work, 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 work. Yeah. Well, it's Friday. Got to go out Sunday. Got to take it off. Saturday. Can't work. My parents didn't work Saturdays. I'm not working Saturdays. You can't have society standards unless you want their results. That's what hmm. I realized the hard way. Boom. Yeah. Uh, great, great insight right there. The concept You're of the sacrifice. Up. The, the <laughs> sacrifice. Yeah, the sacrifice stage that you talked about, like that. People need to hear that because I, I do feel like balance and lifestyle and all those things are very admirable and very important goals for people to have. But you create those mm -hmm. through being willing to do what it takes in the early 100%. stages. So it comes later. Yep. Yeah, I love that. You know, you referenced Isaac Tolpin a few times. And, you know, Isaac was the leader of the North Pacific division, which you were a part of to this day, it's still the greatest division in the history of uh, Cutco Vector. Uh, let's take a couple of minutes real quick and just speak about the success of the NORPAC team and what you feel created such a great team up there. Well, one, Isaac was a phenomenal leader who was obsessed with, with personal growth and studying. And he created a monster in us because he was so focused on growth and studying how business worked and how to create a thriving business, studying leadership. He was becoming such an amazing leader that it rubbed off on us. And I wanted to outgrow him. I, at one point, I was growing so much and, and, and speeding up my results so fast that he had to keep up as well. And I think we had that culture of just massive growth. There was a, there was the right people. There was the right cause, the right mission. We all wanted to break the record. We all wanted to be the greatest division in history. There was multiple leaders proactively leading. And I remember he pulled me aside. No one really knows this. He pulled me aside. I think it was 08 and said, I need you to light a fire. I need you to, to, to I gave a talk and I told people I'm going to, I'm going to uh, come and, and, 
really, really dominate this division. I hope you guys come with me, but I know I'm newer, but I want to really crush it and lead the way. And that frustrated Bedford and some other people, but we created this friendly competition. And from there, Dan, we just were, were like really in it for the right reasons. And we had a leader that was letting us be ourselves and challenging us and understanding who we were as people. He would put us first before himself anytime we needed him. It's almost like he worked for us versus we worked for him. And I probably did 200, 250K more that summer because I wanted to beat the other manager. So how he created a friendly competition, I don't know. Mm. But it was like everybody wanted to beat each other and everyone wanted to to help each other at the same time. So, but it started with him understanding his leaders. It started with him teaching us the highest, we, we thought like executives. He didn't treat us like DMs. He treated us like CEOs and executives. So we started thinking like that. People will act how you treat them and your expectations of them will grow. So if you don't expect much out of them or you have insecurities you're throwing on them, that they will deliver on those. So he let us be ourselves. And that's when I think we all flourished was we had a mission that was bigger than ourselves. And there was friendly competition and he let us, he let us be ourselves, go off scripts if we wanted to. And, and just, it was all results-based. I didn't want to say we did our own thing, but we, we used our own personality and flair in our offices and it paid off. If that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. That was great. I mean, really good stuff about Isaac's expectations Mm -hmm. uh, for, for all of you, how everybody wanted to keep up with others, creating a great spirit of competition. I think that's a really powerful part of a culture in an organization. And I love just hearing you spit out Isaac's old mantras that you probably yeah. haven't heard anybody else say for the last eight choose years, growth. but choose yeah. growth in the moment, multiple leaders proactively leading, right? Yep. Like these are mantras that Isaac built that organization with. And it's pretty cool to hear that they still, still bring resonate up, for you. I still bring him up. I still bring them up. I still bring things up that I learned at Cutco in podcasts and things. They just come up. You know what I mean? I'm like, yeah, that was my first mentor. It's crazy. Yeah. So it's it's like so it's so ingrained because I was at such a stage in my life where I was figuring out who I was that it'll always be with me. Yeah. Powerful. Awesome. So it, we fast forward now to 2013. Uh, you decide it's time for you to leave Cutco Vector. You're going to start your own coaching business. You also wrote your first book somewhere in this stage. I would love for you to unpack for the audience the process of creating success and how you built such a wide network of influence. Because I think everybody that has value to add to the world would love to have a greater following. And you were masterful at building a following over your first couple of years here in in, in business for yourself through your coaching and through your book. So tell us a little bit about that process. Thank you for those kind words. And it, it didn't feel masterful while I was doing it. <laughs> it felt like all over the place. But then I realized years later, there was kind of a process I followed and focused on. First, we we did well. And, and I want to share with people, we were crushing it consistently. I loved my life. I got up to, uh, I don't know if I could talk income, Dan, but my income was pretty high as a 26, seven, eight-year-old. Like, right, I was making more than some uh, higher level people in terms of like net profits because our new business. So we were crushing it. There's a lot of money to be made, like a lot. Um, but for me, at one point, it wasn't just about the money. It was about the mission. So I made sure I crushed it and I wanted to crush it in every area, PRs and new business, old business, development, DMs, BMs. So I wanted to crush it before I left. So I want people to realize that I made sure I put six, six and a half, six, seven years in and crushed it 
then I did something else because a lot of people, a lot of people I've seen, and this is not just in Cutco, it's other places. They have this grass is green mentality where it's like, oh, I'll crush it somewhere else. I'm not crushing in here. Hey, wherever you are, you're there. Mm-hmm. The reason I crushed it in my next venture is I crushed Cutco. A lot of people don't realize that. And I know some people that, and I just want to be real because I feel like that's the best way to be now. And I don't, I don't hold back anymore. I know people that left and they were average DMs. Now they're average somewhere else. It's like you, you want it. That's why I tell people, you got to crush it, go all in, be proud when you leave, then do something else. So I just want to say that first, because it's very important to understand that I was proud that I got results that I crushed. It was part of the best division, got a lot of new business and left with, with owning my own home and, and a chunk, a very big chunk of, of, uh, of cash that I could invest. So when I left and a lot of people were kind of asking, a lot of the newer DMS were asking for my help. I didn't set out to actually just start a coaching business, but when I had people reaching out, I was like, I have a gift. I just put in seven or eight years of sacrifice and reading and studying and learning and obsession. There's certain things I could share with them in like half an hour that could actually really help their business. Mm -hmm. That's the thing is like, one perspective shift, one new piece of information, one action plan can yield you an extra 50K in income. It's such a weird philosophy to think about when you look at like normal jobs, but that's entrepreneurship. I could share, I hopefully share one thing today that might make someone some extra money or maybe give them some extra freedom or maybe an extra boost of motivation. So I left there for about a year. I, I built my coaching business by simply adding value first. So what I did was I, any of my best content, I would put, I did something called select few Saturday, where every Saturday I would add value and share something I learned from Cutco, something I learned as a leader and in leadership. And I would share it with people and I didn't get traction first. The problem is a lot of people quit when they don't get traction. I kept doing it for like a year. I kept getting clients from Cutco outside of Cutco. And I, I it finally kind of slowly in 2000, end of 13, beginning of 14 took off. Then I realized by talking to Hal Elrod, a good friend of mine, good friend of both of ours, that I had a book inside me. And I said, I don't, I, I don't write. I don't like writing. I'm too energetic. I'm too hyper. The, the odds of me sitting down writing are zero. I was like, I'm not writing a book. I don't know how. I didn't, I didn't like writing in school, but it got so bad in, in 2000, end of 13, 14, that I couldn't even sleep because I, I, knew, I knew I had something inside me, skills, I had steps, I had what I did. And, and that's when the economy was struggling too. It wasn't doing well. And I had done what I did at a young age. And I said, I have to figure out how to get this message out. So it took me eight or nine months. I, people say, you wrote the book. Did you make six figures from the book? Yes, but that's irrelevant. I had made six figures six months before the book. So Michal and some other of my friends helped me six months to six figures. And so fast forward, I'm writing the book. It's the hardest time I've ever had because it's hard to focus on a book. But I, uh, I sell myself on the end result. Like I want to get this out. I want to really, it's a, I didn't write it for the money or even the notoriety. I wrote it because I wanted to have a relief to get it off my chest. I'm like, I, I want this piece of content to be out there so people can do what I did and have a roadmap and guidance and some clarity. So it blew up more than I ever thought. And I, it, it's a mix of the title. It's the mix of, of how much we pushed it at the beginning. Uh, we sold it bulk to companies and it's, it, it just continued to blow up. So I started getting calls and started reaching out to people and asking them if they could help promote it or I can, I can work for free or connect with them if they have any advice. And it continued as I was coaching and as I was adding value, my influence continued to grow tenfold because I had so much content out there. 
A lot of people have a message to share. They have no content out there. I was putting content on YouTube, on Twitter, on Facebook, motivational stuff. And if it resonated, people would follow me, people would share it. And it just continued to grow and grow. Mix that with the book, mix that with the obsession I had of growing a business and wanting to prove myself because I just left the only thing I knew. That's kind of how I grew it pretty quickly. But there was a lot of the same moments uh, being in the trenches, feeling frustrated, running an event where no one showed up at the beginning. And because of Cutco, because of my mentality, it's like, oh, it's a roadblock. How do I got to adapt? Things don't happen to me. They happen for me to figure out what my next move is. So continue with the book. I got asked, I, I got asked to speak in all kinds of different places. And because I had so much experience with Cutco speaking and then reaching out to Grant Cardone, the reason I have, have love for him and I always will is he got me my first paid speaking gig in Las Vegas for $5,000, changed my life. Mm. He's like, because, because I was so passionate and I was like, I want to do this. I did this in my other company. I need your help. I want to do what you do. Because I was so passionate, he gave me some time. Three months goes by. He goes, hey, I got a speech. That it's, it's, they're not paying me on my fee. They won't pay me what I want, but they're, they could pay 5K. I know you're in the sales. It was a sales training. I said, done. Went there, paid 5K. Saw that I just got paid 5K for one hour. Changed my life. Wow. So, yeah. Wow. That's, There's a lot that, to unpack there. Sorry. That, that's, ama- that's amazing that uh, people pursuing Grant, but they didn't want to pay him whatever he commanded. And I, don't, I haven't really shared that story much. Yeah. He bequeathed that down to you. Wow. That's, uh, that's actually pretty cool to hear. Yeah. Um, so I love that you said, by the way, that you're, you were able to crush it in your next career precisely because you had crushed it in your first career. And for people to think about this idea that wherever you are, you're there. Like uh, the, the whole concept that you're going to leave a, a place. And I say this to people that are working in Cutco Vector right now, a place that is supportive and encouraging and motivating and where people actually give a shit about you as a human and you have and, an avenue and you have and, an avenue to make money right right and, you know and 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 if you're not thriving here and to think well I'm just going to leave cuz I can go thrive somewhere else it's like get it right here before you go thrive somewhere else um 100%. and and um you know just I feel like a lot of people in Cutco Vector would be really well served sticking around here for 7 years like you did um and then moving on you know as opposed to something else and don't do se- and don't great. do seven years, Dan, of just treating it like a hobby, thinking you made it. Do seven years of continual growth. Yeah. Or do seven years of challenging yourself and getting better. Because if someone says, I have seven years of experience, 10 years of experience. No, you don't. You have one year repeated 20 times, unless you yeah. do something different every year and you grow. So I was trying to proactively grow every year. That's why I feel like it, it, it felt like it was time. But I tell people that too, because a lot of people do do that. They're like, oh, I didn't do well here, but... I'll do well here. It's like, nah, it's hard to do well somewhere else if you didn't do well here because you have the same opportunity. It's on you. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. Based on your value. Yep. Exactly. So you felt like you had something inside you. You started producing content. You started trying to put it out to the world. A conversation with Hal turned this into the book and people loved the book. People loved the concept. uh, And it just began snowballing from there. And it has led you to a social media following today of, of how many? Eight or 900,000. Yeah. And we have, a, I think we have almost 200,000 emails, email yeah. list. Yeah. Crazy. I, yeah. Crazy, man. It just continued to build slowly. You know what I mean? Yeah. 
it's amazing. And, you know, I always tell people like, you're not really a leader unless you have a followership, like you can, you can get a promotion to a manager position, but that doesn't make you a leader. You're a leader when people are following you. And if you've got eight or 900,000 people who care about what you say and are listening to you and are following your advice and your input and your concepts, uh, that's great testament to the leadership you're providing. So I appreciate it. And I think the the, the role of a leader, the, the the role of a leader is is not to create followers. It's create more leaders too. So I try to create more leaders um, that are independent, that do maximize their potential as well versus just following. So I think people like that. They see that I'm trying to help people be independent. The question I get all the time, Dan, too, is like, how can I help you? You've helped me so much. I'm like, I don't need, just live your best life. (laughs) Go crush it in what you do. That's how you help me. Yeah. I mean, I think that's, I, I got that from Cutco too. Is like, yeah. you just crush it. That's all I want to see. Yep. And pay it forward. Of course. Yep. One of my friends says, once you, you know, reach the top of the, uh, the mountain, throw a rope down. Yep. Right. I, I like that concept. Um, so Grant Cardone was obviously highly influential in helping you. Who are some other key mentors that have helped on your journey? So it's, it's funny you say that because I was so, I was so uh, diligent about wanting to make it in the entrepreneur space. I reached out to a lot of people, but the ones that reached back out when I had no influence, I'll never forget. Uh, I, I reached out to Gary Vaynerchuk. He had a 45-minute conversation with me. I was in Leavenworth, Washington with my parents. 45-minute conversation at the airport and kind of shared with me how to maneuver in the industry what to do, what not to do, why people fail. And it changed my life because I needed that perspective. And since then, we've done multiple interviews. I've connected with him over the phone. Great guy. Obviously, he's crushing the game right now. Um, and when I had more influence, when his book came out, I, I helped push his book as much as I can because of obviously, I wanted to give back for him helping me. Robert Kiyosaki has been instrumental. Don't He took a liking to me. Don't know why. Um, maybe it's my passion. But I've interviewed him four four times now, and we've connected a lot. He actually endorsed my new book, which is like still mind boggling. He endorsed the book um, as well and shared it. So it's crazy to me, man. He he's been a big, big, big part of just how I think, managing money, how to make your money work for you, and then someone else too. Lastly, is Patrick Bet David, who's uh, has a channel called Valuetainment on YouTube who has also took a liking to me and just kind of helped me figure out how to maneuver and gave me a quote for my book as well. Um, John Rulon has been influential with helping me network and we've kind of connected each other with each other's networks too. So there's been a lot of people on the way, but uh, those are some of the main ones. Yeah. It's cool that uh, uh, John Rulon and Hal uh, have been a part of your journey. I talked to both of them last week. Still talk to them. Outstanding. What would you say is your favorite piece of advice for young entrepreneurs, Peter? There's a couple. I think one of the first ones was, I would say is the greatest currency there is, is the effect you have on another human being. And if you understand that, you will thrive in business and in life. Because the whole purpose of business, Dan, is to create raving fans. The more raving fans you have, the bigger your business will be. So if you just understand the greatest currency, I've made three, $400,000 in a weekend. Like I've made that in a weekend. My life didn't change. I've made millions. My life doesn't change. But when someone says you changed my life or someone writes me and says, your book helped me not commit suicide. It helped me not get a divorce. It helped me with my business. That stuff really fires me up. So that's one of the biggest advices that I've got that I think I'll give is just, that's the greatest currency. You can be selfish for a short amount of time, but I feel like selfish people are the most unhappy long-term. Mm. Uh, that's very powerful for sure. 
Um, and I, I think it's a, it's a great reason for being in some type of leadership role where you have a platform to be able to change other people's lives and help impact people. Um, it's just so much more powerful. And, and in the end, it's much more um, fulfilling for than sure. the, in, the income that we all earn. Um, you know, you could tweak the income by a pretty significant margin, as long as it's something that's, that's, you know, paying your bills with a little bit left over for some nice stuff. Most people will be pretty happy if they have that currency of influencing and impacting others as well. So, and the money comes after that even more when you do it. So it's like yeah. a double, double win. Exactly. So that's what I would say. And, and I think just the power of knowing yourself as well, when you know yourself truly, a lot of opinions become irrelevant. When you're so focused on who you are, what your strengths and weaknesses are, it's easier to kind of have clarity for your future. When you have so much noise in your head, it's it's hard to take action. You know what I mean? And I think when people are distracted and, and they're, they have noisy thoughts, it they become frustrated subconsciously and they seek distraction subconsciously when they're overwhelmed. So I think yeah. when you start to know yourself, you have less overwhelm, yeah. which helped me a lot. Right. Right. Well, that's, I know that that concept of self-awareness is one of the first key rules in your new book. Your new book is uh, coming out here. Um, by the time this episode is released, your new out. book will be out. Uh, may, may even be the very same day if you happen to be listening to this on the day of its release. Um, but the new book is going to be called Seven Rules to Seven Figures. I love the title and I love how you sort of spun off your first book title, Peter. It took a while. I mean, it took a while to figure that out. It's it's definitely great. Um, and you know, you mentioned something to me in a previous conversation about some people might be intimidated by, you know, the the concept of seven figures. It doesn't have to be earning seven figures, Peter. This could be a, a seven rules to creating seven figures of revenue, 100%. right? Seven rules to creating seven figures of sales right? Like there's a lot of different ways people can view this concept. It's seven rules for exponential growth yep. in your business and in your life. Uh, feel free to unpack however many of these rules or concepts you would like to today and share uh, some with the audience. Well, I think that's the first one that the first rule is like world-class self-awareness. Like what you don't know about yourself controls your life. What I didn't know about myself as a human being in 2006 and seven caused me to fail what I didn't know about myself, my insecurities, my excuses, my limitations. Once I figured them out and I changed the story I was telling myself, I used to use my small town as an excuse so much. I shouldn't be successful. I'm never going to make six figures. I'm never going to make millions of dollars. I'm from a small town. No one in small towns make money. You know what I mean? And when I changed my story, everything changed. So I talk about one thing that Vector helped me with too is, is fully being yourself. The fact that I could be myself and make the money I made at that age was amazing. And it caused me to really uh, think different about who I was. So there was a, uh, I gave a speech at Success Live right uh, after Les Brown. Thank you for that, setting me right after Les Brown. Um, but I gave a speech, it was 3,000 people. And I had, they, they hired me. I was the youngest speaker there. And they, I, I had jeans and a t-shirt on with my Oregon boy hat. Just because that's, I just, I, I really have this obsession, Dan, with just being myself. So it's the morning of the speech. I'm super nervous. I see everybody, even the people in the stands have three-piece suits on. Les walks by, three-piece suit. I'm like, dude, what am I doing? I have like jeans on. Should I go change? Like I had all these insecure thoughts. Then I snapped out like, wait, they're not here for what I look like. They're here for my message. They, they hired me for who I am. 
And I totally switched perspectives, which I learned from Cutco is just shifting your mindset in the moment and went out there and killed it. And because of that speech, someone was able to see me from the speech, from a video of the speech, book me to, to speak in Dubai over Brian Tracy as their keynote, over Brian Tracy, because I was young, energetic, and I was myself. They put me in first class to Dubai, paid me a great amount of money to do that because that speech, if I was in a full three-piece suit, nothing wrong with suits, if that's who you are, like nothing wrong with suits. Although seeing you in a t-shirt, you might be done with suits for a while. I know, I'm just kidding. But the, <laughs> but the reality is because I knew myself and I stayed true to myself, I got a bunch of speeches booked from there and I felt better because I didn't fold because someone else's expectation. That's the power of knowing yourself. And when, when I was broke and then I made six figures, the first step was clarity. I had to figure out who I was, who I wasn't and what I was willing to give up. And that takes clarity. So in this chapter, I give a bunch of questions and I give an execution plan on exactly the steps I went through and what exactly you need to do to really figure out how to maximize your strengths and maximize who you are. Yeah. That's, that, that just helped me so much. I love just the idea of being yourself as, as a leader, as an influencer. I think everybody has to kind of find their own niche. And then when you find your own niche, you will find your following. You know, exactly. not, not everyone will resonate with you. Not everyone will resonate with me. Not everyone resonates with Grant Cardone. And yet, you know, we've all become successful, uh, you know, to different degrees, of course, but we've all become successful because we are who we are. And, and, mm -hmm. and, and I think that that becomes endearing to the people who resonate and want to follow you. And like, that's, that's a, a great uh, concept that you've learned and embodied um, that uh, has, as you said, it, it, uh, it's made all the difference as to whether or not you got the opportunities to become, you know, as successful as you are now. So good, good concept. That was a huge one. And then there's another one called the entrepreneur's worst addiction, which when I was coming up, uh, the addiction that I, that I see a lot of people struggling with is they're so focused on information, Dan, and they're so focused on consuming, 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 consuming. They never create or produce and they get overwhelmed. So I have this concept called mastery versus overload that helps people realize. I think the young generation is so obsessed with information. There's millions of content coming online every second. So with evolving technologies, overwhelming amount of information, it's important people for people to understand you need to start getting addicted to outcomes and results, not information and knowledge. Information and knowledge is crucial. But for me, I went on a journey a couple of years ago where I only had uh, one mentor. I only had, I, I read one, I mastered one book. I focused on only going to one event and I simplified what I was studying, but I focused on learning about myself more. And that's the worst addiction I see is people just, they, they read three books. Then instead of executing in the book, they read two more to make themselves feel like they're progressing instead of executing. I think the best thing you could do is ask yourself, have I executed the previous information? I was obsessed with learning, Dan. I was obsessed. Mm -hmm. It's not bad, but I'm like, I know all these things, but I'm broke. What's going on? My, my office isn't shifting. I don't have bigger results. What's going on? Oh, I need to execute what I'm learning. So I think that was a big, big thing that, that helped me is just getting addicted to outcomes and results, not just information and knowledge. So when someone's watching, it's like, this, this interview is great. You're an amazing interviewer asking me great questions. I'm getting passionate, but listening to it and getting fired up is not going to do anything. You got to execute and figure out what couple things you learn are most relevant to your business right now. That's going to help grow it. Take action on those things, ignore everything else. And that's a big one too. And then we talk about circle of influence. I, I give 
what I, what I am still like, I can't believe I gave it out. I give my exact script that I use to get a hold of Grant Cardone, to get a hold of Tim Ferriss, Tony Robbins, David Goggins, Ariana Huffington, um, all these pretty big names, Robert Kiyosaki. I give the exact script I use, which you're welcome for that. People can use it. Some people in our academy already use it. And they say, I can't believe I got, I got a hold of Elon Musk with this script, by the way. So, so I give away the script and I talk about the power of having a network because one of the biggest breakthroughs I had was I used to bang my head against the wall, trying to figure out my next move, trying to figure out how to master PRs, trying to figure out how to recruit more people, trying to figure out how to get more new business and how to write my book. Then I realized, oh my gosh, I didn't have to figure it out myself. My network knew the answer. So one of the biggest hacks that I've learned is in the last eight years, I don't have to have the answer. All I do is I pick up my phone, Dan, and I call somebody and they tell me the answer. And that was a big, big, big game changer. So that's why networking, who you're around, your associates, the team you create, the customers you have, the mentors you have, all of that combines. And that's the level of success you're going to have as your net. You hang out with five intelligent people, you'll be the sixth. You know that you hang out with five millionaires, you'll be the sixth. Hang out with five DMs crushing it. Guarantee you'll be the six. Hang out with five idiots. <laughs> what do you think is going to happen? You know what I mean? So you got to gotta have that type of, of focus on networking. And that really changed my life. I talk about world-class health, energy, and peace of mind. Because one of the things that changed my life in, as a DM is health. I, I didn't, I didn't <clears throat> allow fast food in the office. I, didn't, I, I really focused on helping people feel the best. Because all I wanted at the time was focused on money. When I was newer, I got the money. Then I had no freedom. So I was like, Oh my God, I'm working all the time. I have money, no freedom. Then I got money and freedom. And I was working 20, 25 hours a week as a DM crushing it. But guess what? I had none of energy. So I'm like, if you could have all the money and freedom in the world, if you have no energy, you have nothing. So this is really dives in the power of energy, how to really maximize your peace of mind, your fulfillment, your health, your happiness, while creating a business that thrives because you've built it the right way. And I think health is an uncomfortable topic for unhealthy people. I really do. But they need, people need it more than ever because I feel like in this day and age, most people wait till their back's against the wall. I'll be healthy once I do this. I'll be healthy once this, then, oh, shoot, I'm really, really sick or something happens. Oh, I got to be healthy now. Why don't you just think ahead and be healthy and focus on your energy and, and waking up feeling vibrant there, there's nothing like it. Right. Yeah. So that's one of the biggest focuses in that chapter is just health and wellness. You just said something that's super profound, which is that health is an uncomfortable topic for unhealthy people. We could translate that exact concept into any other area of life, right? Financial success is an uncomfortable topic for people oh, who are sure. not financially successful. And, and it, it's just because it forces us to confront mm-hmm. our own habits, our own sort of willingness to accept certain things in our life and 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 decide what are we going to change what are we going to do right you said get addicted to outcomes and results not just learning stuff but what are you actually going to do with the stuff that you learn and that's one of the most valuable lessons that people can take from you know what you've shared today is like what are you going to do about it whatever you hear and 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 gain from this if all you do is gain some inspiration motivation and you know feel good today but you don't do anything with it it's not going to change anything right so what are you going to do i think that's really a key concept and in the book peter you also have a concept that i really liked which was where you talk about the three types of lives it was caged comfortable 
or charged. Unpack that one for a bit real quick. Ooh, that, that took, so it's funny. Uh, the person who was the happiest when I was finished writing the book was my wife because I wasn't even the same person when I was writing the book. I was so like stressed and I wanted to be perfect. Some paragraphs took me like two weeks to write. Cause I'm like it, getting something from your mind on paper is hard to do like the perfect way. You know what I mean? You know that too. Cause you, you wrote a book. So, so it's, it, it was tricky, but for me, I just, from observation, from experience, from paying attention, from due diligence, I realized you can put everybody's life into three different lives, the cage life, which these are people who live based on the expectations of others, based on limitations they've never confronted. They let others dictate their identity because they, they feel trapped in a box that they have to do certain things. If anything, if, if the new society and the new economy and the recession and the crazy thing that happened, the pandemic showed you anything, it's you have to be willing to adapt and pivot regardless of what you think. Uh, I think AI is going to replace, Dan, 50 million jobs in the next couple of years. So this is cool because people are stepping up and maybe trying to do sales or be their own boss. So that's the first thing is like people that live based on other people's expectations. They also tend to settle and, and kind of validate where they are. And sometimes they, they want to value security over freedom because they feel like that's their only option. Second type is the comfortable life where these are people who are easily satisfied because they don't have the right network around them. No one's pushing them. I think the greatest thing someone can have, either you need to hold yourself to the highest standards possible or have someone else around you that calls you out. If not, it's easier to, to slip into mediocrity. They might have a, like a, a desire for more. They might have ambition. They might want to do more, but they always validate. And they have that uh, someday I'll mentality. Someday I'll be successful. Someday I'll invest in myself. Someday I'll go all in. Not right now. Then they have all these super creative reasons. They say everyone's a millionaire. Some have a million dollars. Some have a million excuses but everyone's a millionaire, right? So the comfortable life is just people that validate and no one's holding them to high standards and they've gotten complacent because of their habits. I think habits trump inspiration and habits trump intelligence. You can be super intelligent and you could have some inspiration. Your habits will take over. That's why habits of choosing growth is so important. Third, the charge life, which I spent my whole life trying to create. These are people who just live life of their own design. They, they live a life they choose based on who they are, what they want. They get rid of limitations. They're always growing. They're around high-level people. They make the tough decisions in the moment. They know what life has to offer, and they're experiencing it at the fullest because they deserve it because they put in the work. And they're living out their vision. And I, one of the reasons I wrote this book, Dan, was when, when my son was born, I, I turned down like $40,000, $50,000 worth of speeches and, and some business because he was going to be born. And I'm like, oh, I have leverage. I'm My son and my family is more important than money. And I realized at that point, I, I kind of have hacked the system in a way where I built a great lifestyle I'm proud of while doing it on my terms, while being able to have freedom and put family and keep my values intact. And that's what a charged life is. It's just wake up, you're fired up and excited. You even are excited to go through the sacrifice stage because you see the end result of it. And that's what I, what I want people to experience. When I shared that stat, that stat just drove me like crazy. When I saw 80% of the world hates what they do the majority of their life. That's like mind boggling to me. Right. They're going to die. They're going to die and be like 91,000 hours, 10 or 15 years. I just hated like, and they don't think there's they can change. I give an exact roadmap, Dan, on how to like leave a nine to five and get into entrepreneurship and sales because you can do that, but you have to have enough reasons and do your due diligence and it's, it's possible. So that's, that's kind of what those three things meant. And I feel like 
anything is possible for those who value their dreams and goals over excuses. And the charge life is possible, but you got to want it more than others want it for yourself. You know what I mean? Yeah. Awesome. Such great stuff, man. Uh, you've added a, a ton of value to our audience today. And uh, just to wrap this up, you know, the th- podcast theme is changing lives. And how, how do you aspire to change people's lives in the future through what you do? Great question. Well, we have a couple books out now. Um, my content's going to be the focus, but I have a partnership with Forbes and Entrepreneur. And I also have motivational mixtape out on iTunes and Spotify that I think is my favorite work because it really gets people in the zone and fires up. But it's really just the number one question I get. I get a lot of questions revolving what I do, but one of the top is how do you inspire your friend? How do I inspire my son? How do I inspire my wife or my mom or my husband or my daughter? I get that question every week. And I started realizing you don't. You live your best life. You practice what you preach. You walk the walk. And if you do that, the right people will catch on and ask you what you're doing. So for me, I just want to continue living my best life, put my family first. I I am a world-class husband and dad before businessman. So I want to continue just sharing with people and showing them what's possible through how I live versus just my content. And that's the focus, man, is now that I have two, we both have kids. Now I have two little ones. It's like everything changes, man. I have to tell myself I'll be disciplined instead of working all the time. And I need to really be focused on raising them because I think that's my duty and obligation. So that's how I'll do it is living my best life, but also putting out as much content as I can that helps people also live a life on their terms. Awesome. Peter, phenomenal stuff. Tremendous value added today. I really appreciate it. We'll uh, we'll link to a way to buy the book in some show notes, and uh, we'll we'll make sure that uh, uh, your work is supported by the Cutco Vector audience. And we thank you for giving back and sharing all your stuff with everybody here today. Appreciate you guys. I would not be where I am without the the Cutco family and the things I learned and the the amount of growth I experienced. So I'm always always willing to give back and help you guys. Thank you so much. Thanks, Peter. That was Peter Voog. So much good stuff in there. I am simply going to recap one key idea here, which is the idea of getting addicted to outcomes. The purpose of all of the growth that we are undergoing is for us to be able to turn that into lifestyle and fulfillment And just making sure that as you're learning and you're growing, you're really thinking about, okay, what am I going to do with what I just learned? What habit am I going to develop in my life or change in my life? What new action am I going to take that's going to create a quantum leap for me? There's so many people who are addicted to learning for the sake of learning, but they never, ever transform. They go to all the seminars and they're part of all the groups and they read a lot, but they never do anything with it. And that is such a key concept to take to heart, right? I don't think if any of you are listening to this podcast, you're living a caged life, but I think there's a lot of people listening to this podcast that are probably living a comfortable life. They're satisfied, but they're not pushing forward and continuing to elevate their life in every way. This applies not just to business, but to personal relationships, all sorts of things. We want to live the charged life. We want to live the fulfilling, exciting life. 
And everybody has that opportunity to be able to do that. Hope you enjoy this, everyone. Thanks a lot. Thanks for listening. If you got value from today's episode, please share it with others and consider rating or reviewing us on your podcast player. Subscribing to the podcast is free and ensures that future episodes are automatically downloaded directly to your device. For access to guest bios, show notes, and other resources, visit changinglivespodcast.com. You can sign up there to receive valuable resources for free from people featured on the podcast. And to support our podcast sponsors, visit changinglivespodcast.com slash deals. This is Dan Cassetta signing off. We'll be back in a few days for our next story about changing lives.